Blog Talk Radio. Today's show begins the first chapter of the story of Me and Hector. It's time to get ready for a journey into the love of art and the art of love. Welcome to Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. The show that takes an honest look into the heart of all things that shape the fabric of your entire life. And now, here's Nancy. A little while ago, I told you about a young man named Hector. It was in, I think it was back in my introductory show. I told you about him because he was the one who inspired me to answer people's questions. Not just answer questions, sometimes that's enough, but it's not really the solution people are looking for. Most of the times, we have particular areas in our lives that aren't going as smoothly as we'd like them to. If we could clean up those areas and get them back on track again, everything would be great. It starts with one question, and that's the door I wanted to open in in your life through this show. But in actuality, it's an area in our lives that is filled with some sort of clutter or baggage or negativity and we can't see through to the other side because there's too much gunk or unresolved issues standing as a roadblock that we just can't seem to get past. It's okay. Those are the challenges in life that make us who we are. They can make us stronger and wiser or we can succumb to them and let them take us down. When they take you down, you end up living a mediocre life not necessarily unhappy, but, you know, not happy either. Just sort of going from day to day, getting by, hoping tomorrow will be better. Maybe something exciting will happen and and miraculously all your dreams will come true, or at least one of your dreams. And you think life will change and your humdrum will disappear. You could be reading all the right books and practicing all the techniques the modern day life coaches are teaching about law of attraction and Wondering why it works for some people but not for you. Always wondering, what part are you missing? What aren't they telling you? Are you just cursed or full of bad karma? Why aren't you making a million bucks a month with your online business? It's just as good as the next guy's, maybe even better. And he seems to be working two months a year, traveling around the world, living it up on yachts, putting on workshops and retreats in exotic locations. Why not you? You're working 24-7, doing everything the business masters are telling you to do, yet you're not sure if you can sustain your business another year. But you don't want to face that minimum wage job that's looming close on your horizon either. Why are you playing video games or watching rerun movies on Saturday night rather than cuddling with the love of your life? Why is your arthritis getting worse instead of better? You've spent thousands and thousands of dollars in natural remedies and you're, and you're taking all the supplements the alternative practitioners are raving about, but the pain hasn't subsided yet. These aren't problems that can be resolved through one question and answer session. And there's a lot more going on beneath the surface that affirmations aren't going to fix. Answering your questions on air is just scratching the surface of the problem. No matter what the questions are, we can all learn and benefit from them and the answers. It's just a matter of bending your perspective a little and seeing how the other person's situation applies to something going on in your own life. So today I'm ready to start sharing the story of me and Hector. It's very personal and private, but throughout the time he and I corresponded, he asked me questions that are very universal 
Almost everyone can identify with them. Everyone meaning you. As a quick recap, I, I learned... I learned about Hector through a prison inreach program. He was incarcerated in a Texas prison, and he wanted help with his yoga, meditation, and spiritual practices. He wanted to make a change in his life. So I volunteered to mentor him. I started writing to him in uh, November of 2011, and he was released this past June in, in 2015. He was so thrilled to have me be the first person he called. He wrote about it so many times to me. You're, I'm going to call you first. You're the one that I'm going to call you right when I get out. Be ready. We couldn't talk on the phone when he was in prison because of the way the prison communication system is set up. It's a big money-making racket, and I'm not going to get into that right now. This money-making racket didn't work from Canada, so I wasn't able to call him And through their system. He can't quit, couldn't call me. Anyway, after he was out, we had a chance to email and talk on the phone, and he was back living with his family. He got a good job. He loved working on cars in a body shop. But now his phone is out of service, and I don't know where he is or how to reach him. You know, it makes me sad because I know something happened and I don't know what. I don't think he just ditched me. He left his Skype on away status and it's been like that since September 11 in 2015, the last time we, we connected. Wherever you are, Hector, I hope you are still alive, out of danger, out of prison and doing real fine. I know we'll meet again. I just don't know where or when or how. So until then, I'm going to share our story. In case anyone is concerned, don't worry. Hector and I talked about putting our letters into a book form for everyone to benefit from. He wanted our story to be told. He calls me Diana because my daughter suggested I use an alias in case he was a real bad dude and came looking for me or something. So I used my middle name, or at least a version of my middle name, as a tiny little bit of security. Another cool thing is that he hand-wrote every letter to me. He didn't have access to a computer or a typewriter or the Internet. If you could only see his writing, it's absolutely beautiful. He's a true artist. I've heard they don't even teach cursive writing in schools anymore. You know, the young generation isn't going to be able to read old love letters. How sad is that? My first letter to him is lost somewhere. So I'm just going to start reading his first letter to me. So sit back and enjoy. November 18th, 2011. Diana. Hi, I'm your prodigy. I appreciate you accepting my application and becoming my pen pal. Thank you. I understand the reason of you becoming my pen pal and the purpose behind it. I loved your approach and it really put me at ease. I'm comfortable enough to open up to you and keep everything all the way honest with you. I'm not really that type, but it's the purpose behind it that I'm wanting to reach and start. So I'll trust in you one letter at a time. You're teaching me, so I'm just on the passenger side riding with you. So, wherever you want to take me, I'll wait and see what spots you have in mind. You're a good driver, aren't you? I hope so. I'm just being silly. I'm hoping that this letter finds you in the very best and that it keeps you in good spirits. So, I ask that you understand and embrace these words for what they are, because I'm not so good at expressing myself. But I will give you all I've got. I'll put my all into it so you'll understand me. I promise to be honest with you through all of it. Your questions are some very deep questions. I had to actually sit back and look deep and see who am I, really. You attack the root of my soul. I like the start of this, how you started this. 
To get to your questions, I'll go ahead and answer them for you. What is my mental-emotional state like? Well, at this very moment and time, my mental state is to better myself, be able to deal with anything negative. I feel strong in my mental state. I'm like everyone else. It's ups and downs, but try to remain strong through it all. Now, when it comes to my emotional state, I'm working on putting and leaving a lot of things behind me. Everything seems to be going all right. I feel as if I've always been a good person. I'm more of a giver than a receiver. But over it all, getting deep to the roots, I'm really broken. I'm shattered. I just hide it. Don't like looking weak or exposing my weakness. That's what it really comes down to emotionally. That's how I feel inside. How do I react when I'm angry or upset? Well, when I get angry, depending on the person and who they are, male or female, matters. When it's a male, I'm ready to fight, but with a female, I'd rather not talk and leave because I'm sensitive about females. When I get upset, I get this feeling inside. I can't describe it. I just get quiet and get real thoughtful. I won't lash. I really don't like fighting, so I really wouldn't consider myself aggressive. I'm more passive. I like to be understanding to a lot of situations. Some are just certain words that can make me get aggressive. I'll just click. Being in this type of environment, these guys consider me laid back. I don't think of myself as a big gangster or a gangbanger. I just want to do my time as comfortable as possible. That's all. What I feel about myself? How I feel inside myself? Really feel good about myself. I'm really comfortable with the person I am. I like helping people out. I like to listen to other people and help out in any way that I can. I feel I have a good heart. How I feel inside myself? That question I really don't know how to answer because there's two sides, about myself and inside myself. I haven't really explored inside myself to answer it. It's a part I've always avoided. I wonder what's going to be different about myself in the next two years. Would I feel the same as today? Just a thought. You know that before I got locked up, I used to always want people around me to open up, family and friends. I have three brothers and two sisters. And when their relationships weren't going right, I don't know why, but I used to always reach out to them so we could discuss what they were feeling and thought. And it seemed as if I always had the right words for them. I'm three to the youngest. My little brother is 23 and my little sister 15. I used to feel good because my older sister and two older brothers always came to me. Still to this day, they'll write me and visit me looking for my thoughts and opinions. It's become something I'd like to pull out and see more. It's just something I feel came to me because of the things I've been through and my points of view as I went through them. Dealing with things on my own and going through this wanting to look and be unharmed. I like to grow and be helpful to others. The things I hope to achieve from yoga and meditation is to do what you're doing for me. I want to learn as much as I can from you. I feel as if through you, with your help and patience, I will encounter more than I can imagine right now. That's what I'm looking forward to to someday pass on things you're going to show and teach me. It's what I'm wanting to get out of this, not just for my own good, but also for those I know and still haven't met. About your questions, what is the crime I committed to put me in prison? I have five cases. The one that got me a 20-year sentence is aggravated assault on a public servant. I have one UUMV, stolen truck, and one evading arrest and two theft charges. You can look it up on tdcj.com, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. I got locked up in December of 2008, pushing on three years. I've seen parole once and got a year set off. I see them again next year in August. 
I'm not sure how long I'll do on this 20, but I hope it's not long. In the meantime, I'm trying to educate myself and prepare for my second chance. You know, I was wondering, how do you practice yoga and meditation? The reason I ask is because at times I feel as if I don't do it right. My friend, the one who started telling me about meditation first, got moved. He didn't tell me about yoga till later. I guess he was holding back, thinking I was going to make fun of him. But we got coup, and he started showing me books he had and magazines. He'll share them with me. At times, we'll show each other the positions we would practice each chance we got. Also, I'm in the best place in prison to practice my yoga and meditation. I'm in segregation. I'm in this program that TDCJ has, and I'm on gang file. So to enter a certain program and be in population, we have to go through this program called GRAD, Gang Renunciation and Disassociation. I just recently got accepted into the program about six months ago. They do a two-year investigation and then send me through the process of the program. So I'm in a good spot to practice. Right now, my practice is to a minimum with my yoga. How do you embrace yoga? How long have you been practicing yoga and meditation? Do you have any recommendations? I'm wondering how we will be doing this. I'll leave that for you to decide. What is the history? Just where did it start? I don't want to put over all the questions on this first letter. I'll ask as we go. What about you? Do you have any other questions you would like to ask me? Can I do anything for you? What led you to do these practices? Well, I'll leave you with this short letter, and we'll look forward to your next letter. Thank you once again. Your prodigy, Hector. We're going to take a very short break, then I'll be right back to read you my reply to Hector's letter. Today's spice of the day is cardamom. It's a warming spice native to India, Nepal, and Pakistan, although Guatemala is the largest producer of cardamom today. Cardamom is the third most expensive spice in the world. Saffron is number one, vanilla number two, and cardamom comes in there at third place, costing about 30 bucks a pound. You can buy it in three different forms, as a whole pod, as a seed or in powder form. It's always best to buy your spices in the original form, then grind them fresh when you want to use them. Once a seed is ground, it loses its aroma, it loses its flavor, and its medicinal properties very quickly. So if you want the full potency of any spice, I recommend you purchase a mortar and pestle and take a few moments to grind your own spices. And remember, to get the most out of your spices, mix them with a little water and oil to make a sort of paste out of them. Let the liquid soak into your spices for a few minutes, then fry them in a little bit of oil to release the fat-soluble molecules to give you the most benefit. So what makes cardamom so good? Well, to me, the coolest thing about cardamom is that it acts like an antidote to sugar. That means it neutralizes the effect sugar has on the body. Not just sugar, but coffee, tea, milk, cheese, and wheat foods that are acidic in nature and cause the formation of mucus in the body. Cardamom makes these foods much easier to digest. The body produces mucus as a way to protect itself from poisons. So even though cardamom has antidotal properties, it's a smarter idea to cut down on or completely eliminate sugar, coffee, dairy, and other foods that have toxic effects on the body. Let's talk for a minute about the healing properties. It's a strong antiseptic and great for oral health, helping with bad breath, gum disease, sore throats, and respiratory conditions caused from the buildup of mucus. Two, cardamom is an excellent digestive aid and reduces bloating and gas. 
Number three, it's anti-inflammatory, so it can help reduce swelling and pain. Number four, it's an antioxidant, meaning it eliminates free radicals that play a major role in many diseases, such as cancer. Number five, the natural oils in cardamom help inhibit the growth of viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Number six, cardamom is considered an aphrodisiac for men, helping with erectile dysfunction and impotence. Number seven, and on an emotional and energetic level, cardamom makes it easier for us to accept new ideas. It's especially helpful if you are making changes in your life because change is all about the process of digestion. And digestion is all about changing something from one form to another. When you're making physical changes in your life, whether it's about changing jobs, moving to a new house, getting into or out of a relationship, your thoughts and emotions change too. And that's the part that gets us stuck. So if you need a little help in digesting the new changes in your life, eat some cardamom. So how do you use cardamom? Well, since it's a spice in the sweet category, it combines well with other sweet spices such as cinnamon and nutmeg and pungent spices like cloves. It lends itself well to desserts, rice dishes, warm drinks, and fruity smoothies. You can add it to homemade ice cream, puddings, and breads. And you can chew on the seeds for fresh breath and oral hygiene. Remember, using spices is like taking a creative culinary journey. Spices are to food like paint is to canvas. It's like painting food with different flavors than eating your masterpiece. Add cardamom to some of your foods and drinks this week and tell me how you like it. And don't forget, my friends, to spice it up. Want more interesting stuff like blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, and more? Visit us online, nancyatnoon.com. Go ahead. We are back. For those of you who just tuned in, I've been reading a letter from a prisoner I've been mentoring, and I'm just about ready to read the uh, response I wrote back to him. December 6, 2011. Dear Hector, Thank you for writing back to me. I really enjoyed reading your letter. I can tell you really put a lot of thought and effort into answering my questions. And you were very honest and upfront with your emotions and feelings. I truly appreciate that. Discovering who we are is a lifelong process. We are all on a self-discovery journey. That is the one thing that unites all of us no matter what our race, religion, nationality, or age. There are very few people walking this earth today who know who they are and remember it at all times. And those people are fully enlightened spiritual masters, like Jesus was in his day. What these few enlightened masters have discovered is that they are love. Hector, that is who we are, love. You, me, and the guy in the cell next to you. It's hard to believe because we live at the surface level rather than deep inside. At the core of our being, we are love. Everything else is just layers of memory, emotions, likes and dislikes judgments and doubts, when we remove all these layers, we too will be like the fully realized spiritual masters. The thing is, we are like that now, but we don't recognize it in ourselves because we get caught up in the traumas and dramas of our lives. It takes a lot of work to get to this state, but more importantly, it takes dedication and devotion. Without commitment, there is no stability, no happiness, and no progress in life. So let's start peeling back some of the layers and build up some dedication and devotion so that you don't have to feel broken anymore. When there seems to be two sides to yourself, there's no inner peace because it means you are divided. 
We need to unite those two parts of yourself so that you can feel whole again. The inside is the part you and all of us need to pay attention to, not avoid. Avoiding our inner self is what makes us do things we regret later. But most importantly, it makes us feel broken, like something is missing, like we aren't good enough, and like no one cares or loves us. This inner part of you, the part where you know you have a good heart, our kind and giving, is the part that will bring you that happiness you want, the happiness everyone in the world wants. I understand that you want to avoid that part because it makes you seem weak to others. Love is the strongest power there is. Nothing in the world or even outside this world can overpower love. But it has to be pure love, total unconditional love. Unconditional love is a state of being. It's not something you give to someone or get from someone. It's a way of life. It's the kind of love where you don't want or expect something back in return. It's the way Jesus loves us. He doesn't love one person more than another. He doesn't love a person with a Mercedes-Benz who lives in a mansion in England more than he loves a peasant working on a rice field in Japan. When we love that way, then we know unconditional love. The best way to connect with our inner self is through meditation. In fact, the only way is through meditation. Let me explain a little bit about meditation. Meditation is not about doing anything or experiencing anything. It's about emptying the mind, clearing the mind, silencing all thoughts. Only when the mind is quiet can we begin to connect with that sacred self inside. It's the only way. I am nothing. I do nothing. I want nothing. I always start my meditation this way. I silently say this before I begin to remind me that meditation is not about prayer or asking for anything for myself or for others. It's not about me having some sort of experience or aha moments. It's not about me doing anything. For instance, if a thought comes up, it's not about me trying to get rid of the thought or feeling like I'm failing at meditation because thoughts come up and I can't get rid of them. Meditation is about clearing the mind, and we can't clear our minds if we try to force our thoughts to disappear. Thoughts will always come and go. With practice, we learn not to pay attention to them. Pretend as if they are clouds in the sky. We don't want to stare at one cloud because that would make us tired and cause us to be too intense. If we're looking at the sky, we know there are clouds up there. We can even see them moving, passing overhead. We don't climb the tallest tree and try to catch the clouds or stop them or push them to make them go faster. That would be just silly and a lot of effort. Same with thoughts. We notice they are there, but just let them pass. Another one will come along just like the clouds in the sky, but we don't want to focus on it or give it any attention. Just let them drift by. Another thought will arise and pass by, and again and again. You're not failing or doing the meditation incorrectly. All these thoughts need to come to the surface. It's like air bubbles rising to the surface of water. Only after all the air bubbles come to the surface can there be peace in the water. Same with our mind. Only after all the thoughts rise to the surface and are freed from our body and mind can we have lasting peace inside. With this peace comes strength. So here's a quick guide for how to meditate. Number one, set up a regular time and place when you know you will not be disturbed. Number two, be consistent with your practice. Three, you will have a deeper meditation when you meditate after a period of exercise or yoga. Four, it's best to meditate on an empty stomach or a light stomach. Five, always sit with your spine erect. Six, 
sit in the lotus position. Lotus position is where you have your legs crossed, hands on knees, palms open, and facing up to the sky. Begin chanting OM three times. OM is a universal word for peace and love. I'll discuss OM in more depth later. 8. Say to yourself, I want nothing, I do nothing, I am nothing. 9. Begin to breathe in and out through your nose, focusing your attention on your breath. Take deep breaths all the way down to your belly. We will discuss breathing techniques later. Right now, just focus on long, slow, deep breaths. When thoughts come up, notice them, but do nothing, and they will pass like clouds overhead. Number 11. As you are breathing, take your focus to the tip of your nose. This is the point where there are lots of nodis, which are energy centers. No need to hold your attention here. Just bring it here for a few moments and go back to focusing on your breath. Number 12, sit like this for 20 minutes. You can sit and meditate longer, but it takes at least 20 minutes before thoughts are calmed down and we are in a relaxed state of rest. Number 13, when you're ready to come out of your meditation, keep your eyes closed and begin to become aware of your surroundings. 14, when you are ready, slowly and gradually open your eyes. A 20-minute meditation gives you more rest than a full night's sleep. Meditation gives deep rest to your inner organs that you can't get through sleep. How do I embrace yoga? I am a yogi. That means that I follow the spiritual path. I do the yoga exercises. I read and follow the yogic knowledge and wisdom. I am peaceful and centered most of the time. Through practice and meditation, an inner peace permeates the whole body and mind. Then, when we are confronted with stressful or challenging situations... It is our nature to remain calm. With a calm mind, we don't go into fight-flight states and can make logical, rational decisions that are a win-win for everyone. We're not goaded, pushed, or made to feel like wimps for any actions or non-actions that we take. I embrace yoga openly with respect for my body, for my spiritual master, for nature, and for the ancient tradition. How do I embrace meditation? Much the same way as I embrace yoga, but in meditation I drop all effort. I drop all need to do anything or achieve anything. I approach everything in life with the attitude of being present in this moment. More, at least I try. My yoga and meditation is a complete morning routine, sadhana practice. I start with a vigorous walk outside. Next, I do my breathing exercises in the fresh air and sit for about 10 minutes, depending on the temperature, with my eyes closed. I come home and do my yoga for about an hour. Then I do my meditation. Sometimes I do a guided meditation by listening to a recorded CD. Other times I sit with no sound. I found a spiritual master to look up to. It's like having a hero. So basically what I do in all my life situations is focus on him. And when I am challenged, I ask myself, what would he do in this situation? Then I try to emulate him. That way I am assured that my thoughts, words, and actions will come from my heart and will be the best for everyone. I am also assured that my actions will be selfless. When I act like this, I don't create any karma for myself. That doesn't mean I am perfect by any means, but at least it means I have done the best to my abilities and I will have no regrets and generally my actions will not hurt another person, animal, or nature. This is enough information for now. Since it is all relatively new to you, I don't want to overwhelm you with too much information. I haven't addressed everything in your letter yet, but I will in time. Please continue to ask questions, even if I haven't answered all your other ones. 
Also, you do not need to wait until you hear from me to write again. Feel free to write whenever you have the urge. Writing is very healing. I want to send this off so you know that I have not forgotten you, and so you have something to get started with right now. I want you also to know that you are not alone. There is no limit to the number of times you can sit in meditation each day. The important thing is that you are totally present while in meditation. I am nothing. I want nothing. I do nothing. Let me know how this goes for you. Meditation is not prayer. I only have one question for you at this time. Are you allowed to do any type of service work at the prison? What I mean is, can you volunteer to help in any way without receiving anything back in return? Here's a quote from uh, Sadhguru. Your wellness and your illness, your joy and your misery, all come from within. If you want well-being, it's time to turn inward. Sincerely, Diana. That's it for episode number seven. Be sure to tune in next week for episode number eight. And if your life isn't in the organized state you'd like it to be, check out episode number six, where an organizational expert shared some super simple secrets. Oh, I like that alliteration. Super simple secrets to get your trouble areas back in order again. Until next time, keep it real, my friends. Thanks for joining us again on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you, too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because, well, they might like us, too. You can find us online at nancyatnoon.com. We've got fascinating blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, coaching programs, art, jewelry, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Go ahead and check us out. nancyatnoon.com. You'll be glad you did.